three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It's Friday, August the 11th, and we welcome you to Stand Up For The Truth, our radio listeners at 1077 Oshkosh, 1041 Sheboygan, 90.1 Green Bay Fox Cities, also online at q90fm.com slash listen. Thank you so much for signing up for our Q channel on YouTube, Q90FM Radio. Had a bunch uh, signed up so far, but if you haven't uh, subscribed, Q90FM Radio on Face, uh, rather YouTube, and you can also see some video versions of our podcast. I'm Crash. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. I'm so glad you joined us today. Another day to talk about the things that matter to the church and beyond. And I love how every guest brings their own unique knowledge base to educate us, inform, edify, and how the Lord has distributed gifts and callings also far and wide for the building up of the body of the church. Today we have Paul Scharf live in the studio. Paul is with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. I will introduce him in just a couple minutes here, but first our scripture passage for today. I picked Psalm 122 just because of of Jerusalem's prophetic and historical significance, and I believe it shows us uh, more of God's heart. So Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We acknowledge the Lord with me today. Lord, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because you love them, we're told to seek her good. You desire peace within her walls, peace among their inhabitants, prosperity. Lord, we look forward to the day that you will reign there, and we thank you for your promises uh, to us about that day. We lift up Paul Scharf and his family uh, for everything that Friends of Israel has set their hands to, to glorify you and to bless Israel. Protect them, Lord. Continue to meet all their needs according to your riches. Uh, just uh, encourage and uh, strengthen, Lord. We long to see you, perhaps today. In Jesus' name. Again, good morning. We have Paul Scharf with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry uh, serving in the Midwest. Now, we're going to get to just how big this ministry is, but for many years he assisted his theological mentor, John Whitcomb, until John was called home. Dr. Dr. Whitcomb was called home in 2020. Uh, Paul has contributed to or edited numerous books, has written more than 200 magazine and web articles. Paul and his wife, Lynette, live near Columbus, Wisconsin. That's Friends of Israel, F-O-I dot org. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mary. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you in studio. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of Friends of Israel? I did not know how long this ministry had been around, and our listeners probably don't know just how far back it goes and what a... Great beginning. How did Friends of Israel get started? Thanks, Mary. 
will, as a ministry, will turn 85 years old in December. Uh, of course, I'm only have had a small part in that. <laughs> I'm in my fifth year in service with the Friends of Israel. But we have a really amazing history that is uh, virtually unlike any other story of any ministry I'm aware of. Um, November 9 and 10, 1938, Hitler launched the Holocaust through the Kristallnacht persecution of the Jewish people, the Night of Broken Glass. 30,000 Jewish men carried off to Dachau and Buchenwald. And uh, my wife and I were on a Reformation tour back in 2017. We uh, rode past Buchenwald outside the city of Weimar. We saw the the remnants of that concentration camp. Uh, Tremendous destruction of the Jewish community in Germany there in those days. Tremendous fear. Uh, Three weeks later, though, in Philadelphia, the Friends of Israel, at that time called the Friends of Israel Refugee Relief Committee, was launched. Uh, early leaders included Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer, the co-founder of Dallas Seminary, Dr. Harry Ironside, the beloved pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, and these and other Christian leaders and businessmen came together and formed a ministry that they called the Friends of Israel, as our president, Jim, Dr. Jim Showers, has noted, when there was no Israel. But in faith, they believed that God would return his chosen people to their homeland. They didn't call it the friends of the Jewish people, but the friends of Israel. And uh, God chose to see that ministry continue beyond that immediate point of need. And today the sun never sets on the work of the friends of Israel, where we have people around the world in many countries serving both Jewish people and Gentiles uh, through many different means, but always with the ultimate uh, purpose of bringing the hope of the Messiah who has come, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Wow. Wow. That's a long time and not just pure grace from God, right, to just continue to go that long. I think that's wonderful. Now, you're a rep uh, for Wisconsin area. Um, are there reps in all 50 states? No, not exactly. There's uh, perhaps eight of us or so in church ministries representatives okay. here in the United States. And I'm privileged to serve here in the Midwest, but we stretch the definition of that a little bit. I've, I've spoken on behalf of the Friends of Israel in 12 different states okay. and been in a few others for conferences and things. So uh, the Lord has opened many wonderful doors of opportunity, and we praise him for that. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, you're here in the area, Green Bay, for a conference this weekend. It's a prophecy conference, and it is at Good News Bible Church here in Green Bay. What are you going to be speaking on at this conference? Well, the conference really uh, kind of flows through many of the major bullet points of Bible prophecy. I'll be privileged to speak directly on two of them, the rapture of the church and then the witnesses that will come during the tribulation following the, we believe, a pre-tribulational rapture. And those are specifically two witnesses, first of all, and then 144,000 witnesses. And I believe it's a fascinating story of future events that will literally unfold, could be a beginning here at any moment as you prayed today, Mary, if the Lord returns to take his church to be with himself. Perhaps today. And I know those passages on the two witnesses are so interesting, and they show us so much information, details, 
and a little bit about the, a connected, interconnected world that we'll see and have an opinion, a strong opinion about these two witnesses. So I'm sure that'll be very, very interesting. Again, that is at uh, Good News uh, Bible Church here in Green Bay. So we'll be praying for you on on Thank that you. event. Uh, we have a lot we want to talk about today. We want to talk about replacement theology um, and uh, of times of the Gentiles and setting the stage for the tribulation. So we have a full hour here. A lot of different great uh, topics we want to talk about. And Paul, I want to jump right in with replacement theology because uh, the question with replacement theology is, have the blessings God promised to the chosen people of Israel been redirected to believers in the church? Will, In other words, will the church receive the prophetic future that God promised the Jewish people repeatedly throughout the Old Testament? So... Um, how far how far does it go? I mean, I think it's been around a very, very long time, but maybe you could just define it for us a little bit further. And what are the beginnings of replacement theology? I just was able to do a little bit of research on it, but mm-hmm. it, goes, it goes back many centuries. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the roots of replacement theology go back very early in the church. I've written a three-part blog series that people could check for details. I talk about the the origin, the nature, the history of replacement theology in a series for the Friends of Israel called The Danger of Replacing Israel. It's a three-part series, as I mentioned. People can find it at foi.org on the blog. And that would give lots of details that they can trace. And, uh, of course, Mary, everywhere I go, I encourage people, search the scriptures, see if these things are so. Mm-hmm. As Paul told mm-hmm. Timothy, consider what I say. May the Lord give you understanding in these things. But uh, this is an ancient uh, teaching in the church uh, that does not, though in my mind, lead to its or lend it credibility because we know Paul told the Ephesus church elders in Acts chapter 20 that it would be shortly after he left them that savage wolves would come in and spread false teaching that would disrupt the church, to draw away the disciples after themselves. So uh, replacement theology, its historical term, its theological term is supersessionism. Um, It's been with us for centuries since the early days of the church Mm -hmm. and in various waves at various times. But the issue is what does the Bible teach? What did the authors intend when they wrote? How did the New Testament authors understand the Old Testament writings? And you mentioned, Mary, the idea that the church inherits the blessings of Israel. One thing we notice, we don't often talk about people who want to inherit the cursings that are warned for Israel. Just want those blessings. That's right. And uh, so, as I said, the, the, the theological term is supersessionism, but if you want to know what it feels like, to be on the other end of replacement theology, there is another form of replacement theology as well. That's Islamic replacement theology, which teaches Islam replaces the church and Israel. I had not heard that one. Please tell us more about that. Well, it's uh, Islamic eschatology. I'm not an expert on that, but it it just shares with us the idea, or it, it exposes us to what it would feel like to think of being replaced Mm -hmm. by another group that has come and uh, takes away our blessings, our promises. And uh, as the church uh, has often taught that, uh, you know, we have replaced Israel. We have become the new Israel, the spiritual Israel. 
So uh, Islam in its eschatology would generally teach that, uh, you know, of course, it's now even replaced what we consider to be the church. So we better be careful when we start talking about replacement theology. That's my broad point about that. You know, there's lots of different terms today for these views. Some would prefer uh, more, you know, precise terms perhaps in their mind, fulfillment theology or remnant theology or expansion theology. But uh, I'm writing currently a series of articles, and people can see these, uh, even a new one today, at sharperiron.org, a new series called You'll Never Cancel Israel because I think we could actually think of replacement theology or supersessionism as cancel theology. Very interesting. Israel is canceled in the minds of those who teach this view. And, of course, we want to be careful. We want to be respectful, not derogatory, because many who teach what we call replacement theology are true brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love them and we appreciate many things about them, but we also believe they're in a very serious error on this technical point, which is, of course, very important, Mm -hmm. that God still has a future for Israel, Mm -hmm. that he will fulfill every promise he's ever made, every prophecy he has ever given to his chosen people. It will be literally fulfilled Mm -hmm. as he intended and spoke through the human authors who had a specific uh, message that they communicated, a specific meaning they intended when they wrote. Mm Well, it's interesting you should mention Islam because Muhammad being called a prophet, uh, and he was not. I mean, and there there really is no prophecy outside of Christianity, right. which has to be fulfilled 100% or it's all wrong. And so right. that is that is a plumb line that cannot move either way. And as far as Islam having eschatology, that's fascinating because they are expecting um, the, the Mahdi, the sort of an antichrist kind of figure, I find that interesting because that opens the door for a lot of further delusion and deception within Islam. But that's interesting. I had never heard of a replacement theology, although it makes sense because they have called for the destruction of Israel physically mm-hmm. um, since 1948. Mm-hmm. So very, very interesting. What about um, now? There's a lot. There are a lot more liberal churches out there. We have a lot of social justice going on, and and woke churches and all that, uh, and seminaries. Um, is replacement theology something that is um, on the rise within the seminaries and the liberal churches? Well, Mary, I think it's always been a staple of uh, many mainline Protestant groups, and as you mentioned, liberal groups uh, unquestionably have, have accepted what we would call replacement theology. It really was, unfortunately, sort of cemented into the theology of the Reformation by the Reformers who, when we talk about Luther and Calvin Mm -hmm. and other major figures in the Reformation, the first and second generation Reformers, in their lifetime, this was not an issue that they even delved into. They simply accepted that which was pervasive in the church culture, say nothing of the worldly culture, that is, that God had replaced Israel with the church. There was no particular future for Israel. And uh, actually, there was tremendous disdain for the Jewish people throughout the world of the day in the medieval times. And sadly, the Reformers often even 
brought that into their new Protestant Reformation churches. But it took uh, developments of time after that as people, in the light of the Reformation, we thank God for the Reformation, especially the new emphasis on sola scriptura, scripture alone. Right. And, uh, and we're actually jumping ahead here a little bit in the story, but to generalize, we get to a point where people can uh, only perhaps 100 to 200 years after uh, Luther nailed the 95 Theses and begins translating the Bible into German, uh, we have William Tyndale, who, by the way, interacted with Luther. That's a fascinating little historical aside. But he's, of course, the father of the modern uh, English Bible translation, and through his legacy and others who followed him. And we come to a point, and of course the printing press ties into all this as it comes into Europe, we come to a point where people can afford to own their own Bible. It's a Bible they can hold in their hands. It's a Bible they can actually read. And they begin to devour the whole thing and look at not only what the New Testament says, but what the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible says, not only the epistles and the gospels, but the prophets, and they begin to look into the whole counsel of God and want to know literally what all of it means. They want to understand it. And this is where we have people now taking the time to go back to what Mm -hmm. the original writers said about even a topic like the future for Israel. And that's where I think these doctrines become more widely understood Mm -hmm. In the in the progress of dogma, as it's been called, in the in the fullness of times, if right. we can use that phrase, that we yes, want to come and back. We are to. going to come back to that, um, and it's interesting. And this might surprise the listener a little bit at what you're saying about the Reformation. But Martin Luther had a booklet called "On the Jews and Their Lies," and it was released later in his life. You can actually find that on the internet if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, we won't get into quotes or details, but again, it does surprise people. The first time I heard that. Um, I was a little bit surprised about that. So it it speaks for itself, but still, like you said, now having the whole council, Romans 9, 10, 11, I think it's pretty clear um, what Paul is saying, um, and all of Romans sort of builds up to that point, actually. So um, it's it's just really great to be able to open up to Romans 9, 10, 11. Yes, it's still there, and yes, we can take that apart and and really be careful of what um, understanding what Paul is saying. And Mary, that book that Luther wrote, unfortunately, uh, which could be quoted, we might say misquoted by Adolf Hitler, but still, mm. sadly, that he wrote it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I stood in Eisleben, Germany, where, which was ironically both Luther's birthplace and the place of his death, even though he was rarely there in, in mm. between. But we stood there underneath the pulpit where he preached his final four sermons before he died. And sadly, one of those sermons was much like the book that you mentioned. Oh. It's speaking uh, just anti-Jewish rhetoric uh, that he had picked up by that time. Mm-hmm. One amazing thing that many people don't know is that 20 years before he wrote the book that you mentioned, called The Jews and Their Lies, 1543, 20 years before that he had written a book, a wonderful book, called Jesus Christ Was Born a Jew. Hmm. And he talked in very different terms at that point in his life about how we must uh, 
be so careful to treat our Jewish friends well and to share the gospel with them. And he said that if, if I'd been treated the way we have treated our Jewish neighbors, I wouldn't even be a Christian either. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, he changed his tone for various reasons that we don't have time to go into this morning. But we do commend Luther and want to understand him in his context when we think about that first mm-hmm. wonderful book that he wrote. We just wish, we can't pray because it's already been done, but right. we wish he had stayed on that course his whole yes. life. Yes. Absolutely, we do. I want to ask you briefly, and we're not going to get into a lot of detail on this, but something called the Lost Ten Tribes. Now, uh, there is a cult that has been around for a long time, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, the Worldwide Church of God, and he's been he's been dead for a while, but um, the church sort of split off, and there were many other churches that were formed, and, and they had said that, well, you know, we have changed everything, how we, what we believe, we don't. Uh, we don't believe in the lost ten tribes doctrine anymore, but I, they still have websites and many of them still do believe in it. And there are prophecy sites out there that you can't really tell our worldwide church of God, but if you look more deeply, you get little hints of it if you got your radar finely attuned. But something called British Israelism, Anglo-Israelism, that the Anglo-Saxon people are the true Jews, um, and like I said, I get a lot of questions about this. The claim is that England and the U.S. have inherited the covenant promises that God made to Israel. Again, this is another branch on that replacement theology tree. And the royal houses of Europe are the Jews um, who are not Jews. So, can, Paul, can you just give us a little bit on that? What is the lost ten tribes? What what happened to them? Because we know God knows where they are. So just right. give us well, an idea so people can have their radar sharp. This, of course, is a, is a perhaps a little fancier version and maybe a, with a sort of a genetic component, but again, of replacement the is, uh, a theology, or we might even say anti-Israel, anti-Semitic okay. type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Uh, first of all, the tribes were never lost. <laughs> uh, physically, we know from the evidence in Scripture, there were uh, there were remnants of those ten tribes, the northern tribes that were carried off in 722 in the Assyrian captivity, that that filtered down to Judea. So all twelve tribes were represented there to some extent or another. That's why all Israelites came to be called Jewish people. So. It, it's a very simple explanation from that point. And, and James, when he's writing his book in the first century, James, of course, the Lord's half-brother, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he wrote a sermon uh, that we call the book of James to his congregation, and he addressed it. This is very early in the history of the church when the whole church is uh, Israelite, Jewish, and he addressed it to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. <laughs> And I think he's meaning that very literally at mm-hmm. that point. We know for certain the tribes are not lost because they're going to reappear. And this is part of my topic for this weekend's prophecy conference. They're going to reappear in the future tribulation, 12,000 from each tribe. Right. And they're also spoken of as being present in the future kingdom. And so there's no possibility that in the mind of God the tribes are lost. There are still viable representatives that qualify to represent each of those tribes that will be here, even if the person themselves today is not sure whether they're part of a certain tribe. Uh, They may know they're Jewish uh, of heritage, but uh, God knows their tribe, and he's going to identify them, Mm -hmm. and he's going to 
use them for his purposes in the coming days. Well, and I don't know what the motive is for claiming any of that. And also, uh, I read an, a little bit from some articles on this. In order for them to travel as far as England and the United States in those days, it wouldn't really have even been possible. Right. It, practically speaking, it doesn't make any sense, which is minor in the in the scheme of things. Spiritually speaking, it is replacement theology. It is anti-Semitism. So be careful out there. When you're looking at prophecy websites, make sure you know who put them up. That's the number one thing to do. Find out who puts them up. And um, be really careful, uh, because I have seen Christians parroting this Lost Ten Tribes thing, and it is just not true. I, I, Paul, a verse that came to mind this morning, Proverbs 19.21, There are many devices in a man's heart, but the purpose of the Lord will prevail. So man has, I love that's the King James Version, many, many different devices of things that they believe or things that they um, propagate, beliefs and all that stuff, but the, the purpose of the Lord will prevail. And then that you can uh, read Romans 9 and 11 again, like I said, um, to know what the Lord's purpose is uh, for the Jews. So uh, very interesting uh, replacement theology. I know for a while, too, there was a Christ at the Checkpoint conferences that were being put on around the country. I think that was Lynn Hybels had had put those on, and it had to do with... um, calling the Palestinians the victims in the Middle East and occupied lands. And I I was really surprised um, at that, I guess. I don't know why. Um, But recently, I don't know if they're still going on, if these uh, conferences are still going on, but a lot of the liberal churches, again, got sucked into that. Um, So isn't that kind of part of it, is saying that the the Israelites are the usurpers in the land and the Palestinians were there first? I mean, this is another argument that goes on constantly. Is that just sort of a, a unfortunate bit of anti-Semitism in the so-called evangelical church? Well, that, there's there's certainly much uh, thinking pervading our culture and our church, our churches uh, on those issues. Of course, we want we want to uh, be kind to Palestinian people, right. as they're called. We want to take the gospel to them. There's uh, much that excellent uh, things that have been written. I would point people to a resource on that whole issue. Uh, in particular, a, a good starting point would be the book by our friend Dr. Thomas Ice, oh, who people right. know uh, from some people know in this area from mm-hmm. his work at the Prophecy Conference mm-hmm. here. Uh, not the one I'm speaking at this weekend, but uh, a different one that uh, is held often in Appleton. Correct, Mary. Mm-hmm. He has written a, a book called The Case for Zionism. Okay. And he goes through all the details of that whole situation. And, of course, uh, it's never our intention to be anti-Palestinian, if I can say it that way. We want to take the gospel to those uh, folks, and many good things have been written and done in those regards. But the point is, biblically, we believe God has given the land to the people of Israel I believe he's bringing the Jewish people since 1948. He's bringing them back into the land. They're coming back in unbelief. But it's in preparation for future prophetic fulfillment, specifically in the tribulation. They're coming back into the land. Sadly, they're coming back into the land to be chastened there, but it's for the purpose of bringing them to repentance, to receive their king and his kingdom. And they will come back fully into the land in belief. They have to come into the land and be brought to life, to faith, to belief in the land. That's Ezekiel 36 and 37. And then they can receive their kingdom and live with their king. Yes, the dry bones 
the dry bones, very, very wonderful prophecy. Uh, and I think, you know, the eschatology in general of many of the groups, um, including just the Christ at the checkpoint and all that, it all sort of blends together, right? Your eschatology, what you think about um, Israel in general. There are so many things that come together uh, when we're when we're dividing the word in these areas. Um, and we'll talk about dispensationalism. I really want to talk about that a little bit after we come back because we're headed towards a break here pretty soon. Um, dispensationalism has fallen off the radar a little bit when you go online to look. Pre-trib rapture, and we can talk about that briefly in the second half. All these things... You know, if, if you're off uh, biblically in some of these areas in your eschatology, the, the millennium, all these things, it, it really makes for a lot of different teachings and mischief in the church, and it's hard to sort it out, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge to sort it all out. Well, it's studying prophecy is much like studying history, and uh, we can uh, delve into that further yes, on the other good, side, Mary, yeah. but uh, there's lots of details that we need to go through. Yeah, history of the future. All right, we are, uh, you're listening to Standing for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We're talking with Paul Sharp, Friends of Israel's, Israel, F-O-I.org, and some great resources on that website. We are Shadow Band on Facebook, so please share the podcast when it comes up. And we will be back shortly with part two of this discussion with Paul Sharp, and we will talk about the fullness of time, uh, dispensationalism, all those things. So join us uh, after the break. And be sure to check out our website, StandUpForTheTruth.com, on the menu bar, our gear tab, StandUpForTheTruth.com. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm speaking with Paul Scharf. Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. They've been around 85 years. You can go on the website, foi.org, and understand the great beginnings they've had uh, and all the work they've done uh, over the years. It's just phenomenal. Wonderful resources. Israel My Glory magazine, correct? That's we didn't right. mention that. More than 80 years yep. of publication going all around the world. That is a great magazine. I've seen several several issues, and I just love it. So please go to foi.org. And we are talking, well, kinds of things with Paul here. We talked about replacement theology, um, and we want to talk about uh, the times of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, uh, a little bit about dispensationalism. So I'm going to stop talking so we can move on to the next thing. But I do want to talk about the fullness of time. There is something in the New Testament called the fullness of the Gentiles. But I remember over the holidays thinking about, you know, you hear the verse here, Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And that really got me going because... If I were to put the fullness of time, okay, in the Old Testament, in a box, what would be in my box? This is how I look at it. We would have creation. We would have the fall, a promise of redemption, the law, the Jewish nation, um, Abraham, the sacrificial system, the prophets, Daniel's 70 week. Now, there's a fullness of time right there. The four kingdoms of Daniel, um, Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the various captivities, the Roman Empire, and then the birth of Christ. So think about all those things that would be in that box. And so when we're looking at Galatians 4, 4, and 5, when the fullness of time had come, that's only a few words. But look at all of God's history and all the prophecies that had to be involved. 
And then uh, also there was a type of communication uh, that had to be around so that these things could be recorded. And there's just so many things. So God's timing is perfect. The birth of Christ changed the times from B.C. to A.D. So that is the central moment in history up to that point. But Paul also, um, in Ephesians 1.10, we talk about um, the fullness of the Gentiles and uh, Romans. Correct. You're going to tell us about that. So tell us about the fullness of the Gentiles. Well, Mary, what you've said is so profound about the fullness of time that Christ came. And to that list that you gave, we could add the fact that when we end the Old Testament at the book of Malachi, and then we open the New Testament 400 years later, 400 years, think of that, that's as long as the, since the pilgrims came to America. Mm-hmm. Many, many things happened in between, and we're getting ready here, well, at the holiday time that you mentioned coming up again, I'll be out talking about Hanukkah and uh, the background to the celebration of Hanukkah, which is just, one, but very, one very important part of how God was preparing the world for these hundreds of years for the coming of the Savior, for the coming of the Messiah, when the fullness of the time had come, as you said. And that idea of the fullness, the fullness of time, God is superintending above time. And uh, another verse uh, well, there's a couple of verses that, that come to my mind, uh, each use part of that phrase. Jesus said in Luke 19 verse, uh, uh, excuse me, Luke 21 verse 24. Um, he, he mentioned in Luke 19:42. while I'm there, uh, in this your day, he said to the people of Israel, that relates to what we're thinking about, mm-hmm. in this your day, which I think, as he said those words on Palm Sunday, were the conclusion of the 69th of Daniel's 70 weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, that might take more time than we have to go into it. <laughs> yeah. But in Luke 21:24, this is the verse I wanted to read. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, that verse says so much in a few words how God is sovereignly superintending above history. He's watching over the whole thing. He's working, Ephesians 1, he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need any other counselors, by the way. There's no volunteers. He's his own counselor. Mm -hmm. He's working all things after the counsel of his own will. He's bringing history to the conclusion that he has ordained for it. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. Aren't you glad there's not a period right there? But instead, this wonderful word, until. Mm -hmm. Until. That's a powerful word. It Mm -hmm. reminds us of Jesus' statement in Matthew 23, verse 39. He said, you'll see me no more to the Jewish people. Did he put a period there? No, he said, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the fourth cup of the Passover Seder, the cup of acceptance, Jesus refused the cup. But he didn't just refuse it. He said, I'll drink no more of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus says here that Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. Those would be specifically, as you mentioned in the book of Daniel, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Rome extends up until the end, revived Rome. 
and that'll be spearheaded in the last days by the Antichrist, the final beast over the Roman kingdom, mm-hmm. the end time revive Rome, ten, ten-pronged king, kingdom. I believe the whole world likely will be divided into ten regions in the days of the tribulation, ruled by the Antichrist. But Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles, but only until the times the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's not the end of history. That's not the last word. Jesus is going to come back and rule and reclaim the, his sovereignty directly over planet Earth and rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. But you, you mentioned the fullness of the Gentiles. There's another very interesting verse, and uh, this is not uh, perhaps as, as well known, this particular part of the verse. It's a very important verse, Romans 11.25. The Apostle Paul said, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Now this cuts right into replacement theology where mm-hmm. we began because mm-hmm. his question in Romans 11 in verse 1 and verse 11, he states it two different ways. Has God cast away his people? And he, he says, certainly not. May it never be. Mm-hmm. He okay. is not finished with Israel. God still has a future for Israel as he has been with them in their biblical past. He is with them today, even in their unbelief in the strategic present. He will be with them in the prophetic future and he will fulfill his word and bring uh, Israel to the future that he has prophesied for her. Paul says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. This was Luther's struggle, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. When, when he deviated from yeah. what uh, he earlier thought about the Jewish people. Uh, that blindness in part, only in part, mm. has happened to Israel. And it's, only, it's, it's partial and it's only temporary. It's Here's our word again. Until, Mm -hmm. it's only until. Uh, Paul is saying in this passage to you Gentiles, don't be proud, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant, don't be lifted up with pride. You know, as we look at what God has done in our country for 400 years here in the United States, we could be very arrogant and say, we must be the kingdom of God in the world. America must be the kingdom of God because we've be, we've been the center of the Christian world for 400 years. Right. We've been the sending nation for the missionaries of the world for 400 years. God has blessed God bless America. He's blessed us, right? Yeah. And we could even get to the point where we're saying this must be the kingdom. Yeah. Every tribe, and, tongue, and nation is in this country. And, and Paul says, "Don't be wake up, folks. Don't yeah. be arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Praise God for what He's done here, but this isn't the kingdom." And in in fact, one day God will turn from the Gentiles and he's going to turn his focus back to Israel. It's only until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Gentiles, Gentile nation, America, enjoy the blessing of God that he's poured out on you. Of course, make good use of it, which I'm not sure uh, we could argue that we're doing in our country right now. Yes. But but you're not the kingdom. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're only here for a limited time and purpose, and then God is going to turn his attention back to Israel, and it will be an Israeli program again in the future. And, of course, we believe this is after the rapture, which removes the church from the world. The true church will be with Christ. Mm -hmm. And then the church age is over, and then it's an Israelite time again. It's an Israeli-focused, Jewish-focused time 
which is a whole different dispensation, to use that word. It is, and we're going to talk um, about that a little bit. Um, uh, and the church had a beginning on Pentecost, and the church will have an end day. I do believe that. Right. And we're Absolutely. still here because we got something to do yet. I That's wanted to right. ask you if you had any uh, insights onto hardening has happened in part. What right. does that mean? Partially, uh, not not every Jewish person. Praise God for those who come to Christ, their mm-hmm. Messiah, and it it's happened around the world for 2,000 years. There are Jewish believers. Praise the Lord. We have uh, friends of Israel uh, has an impact in the nation of Israel. We praise the Lord for that. And uh, among yeah. Jewish people all around the world, and by the way, people may not realize there are Jewish friends and neighbors all around us, and we want to be their friends. We want to uh, reach out to them in love. Uh, as we talked about the holidays, as Hanukkah comes up, right. uh, it's a very important time for them uh, to show them we really care, not just in a manipulative way, but we truly care about them. We want to thank God for Israel mm-hmm. because everything about our faith is based in the Jewish world. We have a Jewish Bible. Uh, I'm talking about the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. We have a Jewish Savior. We're anticipating being part of a Jewish kingdom. Everything about our faith is Jewish. We're, as Gentiles, Paul says, we're just grafted in to God's plan. And there will be that day when the focus will turn from the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles will have come in. And... uh, and then God will turn his attention back to the people of Israel. Now, if if, if someone listening, say they have uh, Jewish neighbors or friends, and they don't really know how to approach them because there's resistance to Jesus being God and mm-hmm. and the the things that they um, have resisted all this time, is, is there a specific, I don't want to get too sidetracked on it, but is there a specific approach, besides prayer, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that they should take? Is there some, maybe a passage or something that would be helpful in sharing Jesus with a Jewish friend or neighbor? Well, I would encourage them to, first of all, before they do anything else, uh, obviously the ultimate need is for that person to receive Jesus as the Messiah, but we might not be surprised that that may not happen initially. In fact, we might want to be very careful how we approach that person, especially if we don't know them well. Mm -hmm. But one thing I think it would be hard for anyone to uh, turn down would simply to say, I want to just thank you. As a Jewish friend, I want to thank you for what you represent, God's blessing in the world and God's blessing mm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say I'm so thankful for you. And at the Friends of Israel, and by the way, that's sort of built into our, our name, isn't it? Yeah, uh, We're right. the Friends of Israel. Right. And uh, we one thing we do that I'll just mention uh, uh, is that I mentioned Hanukkah, and we we send uh, we take Hanukkah baskets to Jewish people all around the world, and it's just uh, it's uh, all I believe all Israeli products in it. Nice. It's just a nice little gift to mm-hmm. say uh, Happy Hanukkah. Which, by the way, if we know the story of Hanukkah, which we're not going into in this hour, but uh, there, I have a I as a Christian have no problem saying Happy Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we really understand the, the meaning and message of Hanukkah. And uh, just to say, uh, God bless you, thank you at this time of year that's important to you. That could be an initial step right. that uh, people could take, and they could find more about that at our website at foi.org. Okay, great. And I'd love to have, have you back on this fall and talk about feasts and that sort of thing and, 
And uh, as far as the, the Gentiles uh, trampling down uh, the city, <clears throat> we're not going to get into the temple here, but in my mind, when I got saved and I started to study these things, it kind of had to do with the temple being rebuilt, and that was going to be the end of the time of the Gentiles. But um, there's so much being done with the temple right now. Again, like I said, we don't have time to get into it, but um, will it be built by the Antichrist? Will it be? Do you think it'll be built? I guess I'm asking what you think sure. uh, before... Uh, right around the time of the rapture, or I, there's so much excitement about it even today. Nothing has to happen, I believe, before the rapture. <laughs> mm-hmm. Christ could return right. at any moment. His return in, to rapture the church is imminent. So we're never told to watch for it. We're only told to wait for it because there's nothing to watch for. Right, there you it go. It could happen at any time. I hope everyone listening is ready. Yep. That would be a, a wonderful thing. It would be a horrible thing to hear even a broadcast like this and not be ready. Yeah. Because... Yeah. The only thing it takes to be ready is to trust Christ, the eternal Son of God, became also man, died on the cross, in our place for our sins, was buried and rose again so we could have forgiveness of sin, and eternal life in heaven with him when we trust in Christ alone. He saves us by his grace alone, mm-hmm. just because we trust him by faith alone. And so everyone listening, I, I hope you won't even wait for the end of the broadcast if you've mm-hmm. never trusted in Christ. Mary, we have an event. And this is a Friends of Israel event coming up November 18th in Wausau, Wisconsin, okay. at Wausau Bible Church. It's, it's one of m- numerous events like this around the country, but I'll be speaking at this one. On, and the theme this year, it's called Pro, it's a prophecy up close event, and the theme this year is the temple, Ooh. and it's called God's home on earth revealed in prophecy and practice. And I'll be one of the speakers, November eighteenth. I'd love to have uh, our listeners um, explore the possibility of joining us mm-hmm. for that, and we'll be talking in detail about these questions. I believe there will be a t- temple active during the tribulation. Remember the tribulation, the fullness of the Gentiles is past. It's an Israeli time again. There will be a temple. I think that ties together with the witnesses that we mentioned, the two witnesses Mm -hmm. and the 144,000. But then there will be finally a millennial temple. Ezekiel takes nine chapters to describe in Ezekiel 40 through 48. So it must be important. And there will be temple worship in the millennial kingdom with Christ seated as a as a uh, king on his throne, as uh, a priest on his throne, Zechariah talks about. In fact, he'll be king and priest for a thousand years from the city of Jerusalem on the throne of David. And we will be there. That's, That's just right. Amazing. We have a mighty bright future, as they say. That's right. Um, absolutely fascinating. So yes, go to go to foi.org for more information about uh, the temple event uh, in November. Um, sounds fantastic. <clears throat> so I want I want to tie into dispensationalism because that's another thing um, that has sort of fallen away. You know, where has it gone? I know Clarence Larkin, who wrote these fantastic books back in the the teens and twenties of the last century, mm-hmm. a lot of charts, and he talks about this. And it was it was generally taught that there are various dispensations from creation until now and this also answers the question about the Jew and the Gentile which we kind of just covered in replacement theology what what is Paul what is basically dispensationalism and and whatever happened to it well those are great questions Uh, I'm in the midst of a series uh, that I need to come back to and finish that people can find again at sharperiron.org 
also on raptureready.com, which graciously runs them, uh, called Where is Dispensationalism Going? And by the way, I, I could just insert here two people can always contact me or find all my materials on my ministry page for my service with the Friends of Israel. It's at sermonaudio.com slash P-S-C-H-A-R-F, okay. P-Sharf. Great, thank you. And uh, to answer your question, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, how dispensationalism really began to grow in popularity and understanding was when people studied their Bibles. When they had a Bible, they could read and study mm-hmm. and understand. And, of course, these were people, and we're, we're generalizing many things here, but these are people coming out of darkness into light, the light of the Reformation and beyond, hungry for truth. They've heard for hundreds of years, all they've heard was snippets uh, of things, often in a language they didn't even speak from their priest. They saw images in stained glass windows, and their their knowledge was often, for many of them, very, very limited. Now they can read the Bible for themselves, mm-hmm. and out of this grows dispensationalism. We call it the Bible study movement, the Bible conference okay. movement. It gives birth to the Bible Institute movement. Mm-hmm. And the Christian world explodes with truth and light in the later 19th century, early 20th century. And dispensationalism, as we call it, which is maybe a, a difficult sounding word, it's, it's simply from the word from which we get our word economy. It's the idea that God is running a household and he has laws for his household, which is the world, and he implements those laws and there are changes in the way that he implements, uh, his, his program on earth from one period of time to another, such as we could think of gigantic changes, as you mentioned, with the coming of Christ. And uh, they're so gigantic that some people mistake Israel being set aside temporarily for being set aside permanently. Sure, right. right. But it's not permanent, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church is temporarily now, during this time, God's program on earth, but he will come back and fulfill his plan for Israel. So the Israel-Church distinction God is doing all this for his own glory, and it's all built out of literal understanding of the Bible, literal interpretation. And where is why is it going away? Well, perhaps because we're not reading our Bibles with the same zeal that those people who saw such a treasure in it as they came out of darkness and began to pour over their Bibles. Mm-hmm. And out of that grew dispensationalism, Perhaps it's declining today because yeah. how many of us are really doing that? Well, a, system, we a systematic understanding of prophecy, a systematic understanding of the whole Bible. You know, um, it just seems like people have their Bibles, but they'd rather they'd rather go to social media and stir the pot, and then as soon as if they're not sure of where they stand with the preacher rapture or dispensationalism, they'll float something on Facebook, and people will come in with all these different views, and they haven't done their homework first. So people, social media toss people about because you can find any argument you want and um, actually demeaning arguments about, oh, you're still a pre-tribber? Well, I was one once. Right. Things like that. And really, social media has done more harm to the rightly dividing the word than anything out there. Hopefully, people will not get their theology from right. 
Social and media. even if they're looking in even more substantive places, but they might be looking for biblical principles, which mm-hmm. are wonderful, but what do we mean by biblical principles or being practical? Mm-hmm. They might think, well, prophecy isn't practical. I like what someone right. said. When the Lord returns, it's going to get really practical. (laughs) (laughs) Want to be ready now. Yeah, and that's that's, uh, an understatement if there ever was one, right? Right. Well, Paul, we only have a few minutes left. I can't believe how fast this went. Again, we want to have you back on in the fall. I know the fall feasts are coming up, and they're just high holy days for Israel and then the temple. We have so much more we can talk about. Israel back in the land, 75 years, what an incredible event. Uh, people looked forward to it, and now we look back on it. So how late is it? And I think to me, uh, to myself, what are the signs of the times? That's God's mm. timepiece, right? That's the time clock. Right. Um, uh, Israel being back in the land, fulfilling, uh, you know, speaking a pure language. Can a nation be born in a day? All these wonderful prophecies. Uh, the dry bones, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Gog and Magog, um, this, is this a pre-trib event? What, what's your thoughts on Gog and Magog invasions? Uh, I, you mentioned Dr. Whitcomb. He's my teacher in the book of Daniel. I take his view that Gog Magog event happens in the midpoint of the tribulation. Okay. Uh, there are differences of opinion on that, and it's not a, an ultimate issue to be, con, you know, to divide over. Mm-hmm. But the point being, you mentioned all these trends. I think we're definitely, Jesus said, look for the signs of the times, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Now, there are no signs of the rapture, right? but there are signs of his second coming. Mm-hmm. And those signs can be so powerful, their shadows can fall back even now into our time. Mm. And uh, boy, it sure looks to me, Mary, and to many others, like we're seeing things happening that we haven't seen exactly like this before. Yeah, definitely. And I think the stage is being set for the coming tribulation, for the rule of Antichrist. Mm-hmm. He's not here yet. Uh, we're not setting a date, certainly not for the rapture right. or anything right. else in prophecy because we don't have that information. Mm-hmm. But I believe the world is being prepared, especially in two ways, through technology and through psychology. Mm. For the events that the Bible describes for the coming tribulation, we can now very easily see the very ways that some of these things could come to pass as we read the pages of Bible prophecy. And uh, we supply lots of news regarding things happening in Israel and in the world. People can begin to look for that at FOI.org. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. We really appreciate your knowledge and your your wisdom. Um, We're looking at increases in the last days, right? Knowledge, technology, quakes, pestilences. Things are ramping up, as you said, and we are just uh, waiting at the edge of our seats. Thank you for joining us today. Um, We have John Haller on Tuesday. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Trisha Burton on Thursday. We're going to talk about Mormonism. Uh, So much going on. I hope you can keep up. Please share the podcast um, on your social media. So, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a good day on purpose.